Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I think what's interesting when you ask people to describe themselves, some people start with more of the personality traits, right? So I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm insert whatever personality trait you might have there. Whereas some people start with more of these broader identities, right? Like I said, I'm a mom, I'm a professor, I'm a friend, I'm a wife. There are people who are really tightly bound up in those identities and others who have them kind of more dispersed. So some people might be more of a unitary self where it doesn't matter where they are. They are always the same person, whereas other people will really code switch and become completely different. Maybe I could jump in here because I I do love conversations about hats when we're meant to be talking about (laughs) other things. Yeah, as Colin and I are both losing our hair, so the more we talk (laughs) about hats, the the better. This episode is sponsored by Verant. Verant helps the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. The Verant Customer Engagement Cloud Platform draws on the latest advancements in AI and analytics, an open cloud architecture, and the science of customer engagement to meet an ever-increasing, ever-shifting consumer interactions and demands. Well, Colin, we have a special treat today. I like Uh, treats. Yeah, I've invited on um, one of my very best friends to be uh, an interview subject for us. She's going to tell us about some of her her research. I know that a lot of times I say that I'm good friends with the people that we interview. You do. Uh, most, Most of that is lies. Most of them turn around and say, Ryan who? Yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of that. I'll be honest, there's a lot of that. This time, though, I mean it. Like, this time. Uh, uh, so here's an interesting thing. Sarah may be your best friend. Are you hers? Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Um, <laughs> we will talk to you next time. On the, uh, no, I'm not going to put her on the spot. I'm sure her lawyer would like to weigh in before she actually says anything. But let, let me introduce our guest. Sarah Domer is an assistant professor at Penn State Smeal College of Business. And I got to know Sarah when she lived in Atlanta. And she was teaching at Georgia Tech, so just across town, a couple ways away. And then she moved away from me, which I'm still a little bit mad about, but... Um, not, apparently not too mad you're here welcome sarah oh hi yes ryan was it is that ryan was it yeah okay now i'm kidding yes <laughs> <laughs> <Ryan>. <laughs> hey i told you i told you <laughs> yeah. no thanks for having me colin it's it's lovely to meet you um i'm a i'm a fan of the podcast so uh i sort of feel like i'm talking to a little bit of a celebrity here but um not know, ryan to be clear not yeah. me <laughs> not ryan no just colin ryan it, it is true ryan is a is a dear dear uh friend so i, I will admit that publicly here now Ryan. okay so we've got that on, re- on record uh that's all the time we've got for this week. So, that was what i was after when you say he's a dear friend does that mean he's, he's expensive <laughs> oh yeah very he requires a lot of diet coke I am. I am so high to fuel him. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. He is. He's a. He's a really, really good friend, and uh, I'm happy to be here. I listened to your podcast 
because it's incredibly interesting, obviously, but also because it feels like I get to hang out with Ryan a little bit more since I have moved away. So Aww. it's like this, this nice voice I hear and it, it feels comforting to me. So I enjoy it. I'm thrilled to be here. You and I were getting on so well until you said that. <laughs> <laughs> my first strike oh geez here we go okay yes, yes. i'll try to redeem myself it also gives her like a warm feeling to hear colin cut me down constantly that, that's also yes that's also yes i do enjoy that i do yeah. enjoy that yes that's good that's fun yeah sarah we have invited you on to talk about your area of expertise which is the self Um, So that's, that's what you do research on. And when we were kind of prepping before the show, you, you gave me one question to not ask you. And so I'm going to (laughs) start off with that question, which is Sarah, what is the self? I mean, it's just such a softball to begin with, Ryan. Thanks. I mean, part of the reason I love researching the self is because I think you can make an argument that everything is the self. So then I could just research whatever I want and call it the self. I mean, that's cover your bases. Yeah. Yeah, It's really, it's really a, a strategy on my part. The answer to the question, what is the self, you know, you could read 20 papers on the self and get 20 different definitions of it. It's, it's a hard one to nail down. I'll tell you how I personally view it. My definition of the self or how I think about the self is everything that makes me me, honestly. So it encompasses things like my identities. So I'm a mom, uh, I'm a professor. Ryan will tell you in a former life, I was an intramural dodgeball player. Um, <laughs> wow. Surprised you didn't work that into your intro. <laughs> That was how I was going to conclude. You really stole my thunder. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to do that. All my identities, all my personality traits, but then also how these things relate. Uh, So certain personality traits might relate to certain identities more than others. Certain identities might relate to certain identities more than others. You know, like during the pandemic, my mom and professor identity became very blurred, very, Mm -hmm. very blurred. And so thinking about sort of how they all work together and then how that influences my behavior as a consumer, that's sort of what I'm interested in. Is it effectively what you would say about yourself? I think that's part of it. Yeah. How you would describe yourself. I think what's interesting when you ask people to describe themselves, some people start with more of the personality traits, right? So I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm insert whatever personality trait you might have there. Whereas some people start with more of these broader identities, right? Like I said, I'm a mom, I'm a professor, I'm a friend, I'm a wife. My husband might be mad that wife was listed fourth there. But um, <laughs> so, uh, but all of that encompasses, I, I'm right? aggressively British, uh, speaking yeah. for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think, but it's also sort of what's not me. Sometimes we can define ourselves by what we're not as well, right? And so there's that level of it too. So when I was in high school, my family moved from Ohio to Arizona and I was exposed to large-scale country music for the first time and, and defined myself in large part of being not a country music fan. Like That was very important to my identity. Yes, exactly. And I think we see that often. You know, we want to disassociate from certain identities that we might be lumped into. No, 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 I'm not that person, right? That's, that's not me. Um, and that me versus not me, I think, drives a lot of our behavior, right? Yeah. You just made me think, Ryan, with your observation about country music, is that what you would say to others or is it your just your sort of yeah. internal perception of yourself, how you would describe yourself to yourself? Does that make sense? So how much of the self is internally focused versus how much of it is externally or performative? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have our public versus private selves, right? And sometimes those overlap. So certain parts about me are, are both 
a public part of who I am, but also a very private part of who I am, right? I, I acknowledge that privately and publicly. And then there are other parts of ourselves, right, that are probably more more private or probably more public. There's also lots of research on the different types of selves. So we not just have our sort of actual selves, so who we you know currently are and, and how we perceive ourselves. We also have the people we want to be. So sort of our hopeful, our aspirational selves. We have the sort of selves we fear we might become. We have past selves, former selves, right? People we were in the past, identities we were in the past that we're not anymore. So that's why it's a really difficult question to say what is the self because it really is so, so many things. Well, you answered it well. Oh, the, thank you. <laughs> let me let me throw a couple of concepts at you before we dig into some of the practical implications of this. Okay. So here's some like related ideas and tell me if people are thinking this, if they've if they've got a good handle on the self or if it's something different. So people talk about like wearing different hats in their lives. Is that would that fall under kind of research on the self or is that something different? Well, what do you mean by wearing different hats? Let me ask you a question, oh, podcast man. host. I, that was, <laughs> I was not expecting that. that was, I'm a little this uncomfortable. Is the, Ryan, don't you know this? This is the best trick of a professor is like when you're not prepared to answer a question, you ask the student what they think first, right? Oh, and, oh and, I, I know all the tools for getting around when I don't know the answer. Like, that's, that's a big no, part of my I, identity. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is when you talk about wearing different hats, are you talking about changing who you are from situation to situation? Or are you talking about having multiple identities that you kind of, when I'm at work, obviously my professor identity, I'm wearing that hat. When I'm at home, my mom hat's on. I, I guess that's what I'm questioning. What no, it's, it's a good question. And I think that the, the phrase is a little squishy. So I think what I was thinking of is the different roles that we play throughout the day, you'd, you'd put on different hats, which would be a different set of kind of, I don't know, roles or responsibilities or perspectives, or does that fall under this kind of umbrella of the self or is that, do you think about that as being something different? No, no, no. I definitely think it falls under the umbrella of the self. And there is some research that I'm working on that kind of looks at, to use your metaphor, I guess, do we take off one hat and then put on the other? Or is there at some point where we're wearing both hats, right? And how does that, whether we take one off before we put the next one on versus we're wearing them at the same time, how does that change our behavior? So I have a paper that looks at sort of this from a purchasing standpoint. Think about saving money for something associated with one identity or another, okay? And then you need to buy something associated with the other hat, right? So I've been saving up for, let's say, a computer monitor at work, okay? That I need something for work-related. But then something pops up that I need something for my mom, right? I need to take my daughter to the museum or something of that nature. Do I use that money that I've saved for my work-related purchase to spend on my daughter and going to the museum. And our research suggests that it depends on whether you're a person who takes one hat off before you put one hat on, or whether you sort of can wear both hats at once. So there's research looking at sort of that very question and how that impacts various behaviors. So you're finding that mental accounting is influenced by how integrated your self-concept is? Yes, Brian, that's exactly what I'm doing. Perhaps that's what I should have said at the beginning really of that. Intuitive. No, you shouldn't have said Thank that. That was like eight that. jargon words in a, in a row. Nobody else understood that. That's why I was, I was trying to avoid that. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I was just shocked. That's really interesting. Yes. Maybe I could jump in here because I, I do love conversations about hats when we're meant to be talking about <laughs> other things. <laughs> Yeah, as Colin and I are both losing our hair, so the more we talk <laughs> yeah, about hats, the, more you this, need, right. the better. <laughs> it was making me think that we wear sometimes we wear different hats in the wrong scenarios, don't we? 
it was making me think about, about my wife, Lorraine, who frequently says, you're not at work now. And when, <laughs> when I'm right. trying to, to organize something or ask a question or something like that, when I'm, you know, using some type of management techniques to manage the kids or Lorraine or whatever it may be. That's right. another interesting aspect of this, isn't it? Yeah, I think what Lorraine is telling you there is that you have too high of what is called role integration, ah. which means you've sort of eliminated the boundaries between these two roles. I'm going to tell her that next time. And Sarah, <laughs> I'm just going to say, are you telling me, Lorraine, that you I've got too much role integration? Exactly. <laughs> She'll say, you're exactly. not podcasting now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what Lorraine is saying, is that you need to take one hat off and put one hat on. That's the separation. Those are boundaries, right, that we put between roles, whereas you're sort of keeping both hats on at the same time and you're integrating those roles. And so, yeah, you're just high in role integration. That's how what you can say to her. I will. And okay. can I can okay. I have your number yeah. so I can pass Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> She charges therapist rates for stuff like that, though. So so one more kind of like string I want to attach, and then I want to uh, transition to talking about some of the kind of the practical implications of this. So um, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and the the topmost triangle on the pyramid is usually labeled self-actualization. Is self-actualization related to the self? Does that kind of define the self? Is it different? How do you think about that? So I think about self-actualization as sort of the real understanding of who I am, right? Do, do you agree, Ryan, before I jump into <laughs> any more? Yeah, yeah. I, I think about it as kind of like the goal state of the self, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's sort of understanding who I am, being comfortable with who I am, like all that kind of stuff, right? Because it comes right after esteem, right? So I feel good about myself. And then the next level above that is this actualization. So I know who I am. I've sort of achieved who I am. I feel really comfortable in my skin. That's kind of what I think about when I think about self-actualization. I mean, yeah, that's definitely related to the self. I think there needs to be a level of understanding who I am because that really guides my behavior, right? You can think about it as sort of being a roadmap. Once I know who I am and I'm comfortable in my skin, now I can follow that, right? Now I can know, oh, this is these behaviors or or these thoughts, these are consistent with that. And, and it kind of guides me down, down the right road to then kind of be consistent with that self, which then again, reaffirms. So it's kind of like this cycle of affirmation as well that occurs. So the more I know who I am, the more I feel comfortable in my skin that I'm doing behaviors consistent with that, which affirms the self. And it's just kind of this secular affirmation cycle that occurs. That's how I think about it anyway. I think that's great. Good. Well, then why does any of this matter? It feels to a certain extent like we've kind of always known how important self-definition or self-expression are, and that that's been incorporated. But you and I were talking earlier, and that's not historically been true. This is the the little history lesson of the podcast. So if you if you're not a fan we of history, recently you can just spent like... an entire episode talking about <laughs> Caesar crossing the Rubicon. So oh yes, I listened yeah, to that. Yeah, you're that good. Was, that was incredibly good. interesting. Okay. I, I've been trying to transition hard into a history podcast for like three years now. Colin keeps stopping me. <laughs> so this is something I, I actually teach about. I show I teach a class on advertising, and so one of the very first class I put up a picture of an ad for cars from like the 1920s and 30s. And I asked my students, like, what do you notice? And they go, they're all the same, right? There were like four options of cars, okay? And, and the four options weren't that drastically different from one another. And that was true pretty much across the board. Prior to World War II, our purchases were 
really about function and utility. Is, is okay, this so, like the Henry Ford? You can have any color you want yes. as long as it's black. As long as it's black, right? Exactly. I was trying to remember that quote earlier this morning, and I, you know what I thought? I thought Ryan will know it. I'm not even kidding. Or, or Ryan's willing to right. make it up on the spot. Nobody check that. I'm gonna. Nobody. <laughs> nobody I just was like, I'll tee it up for him, and then Ryan will say it and sound super smart. So you're welcome. Friend. You know who's super pedantic and annoying? Ryan. Let's get, <laughs> let's get him in this. So yeah, so prior to World War II, function utility, that was why we purchased. And so we purchased, you know, a, a black dress, a gray dress, and a blue dress, right? That's what we needed. And then World War II happens, and there were these drastic increases in efficiencies among manufacturers, right? So the, the manufacturers making dresses now had to make uniforms for the troops, and they had to do so incredibly fast and ship them overseas. And so it was like these major advances in efficiency happen. World War II ends, and you don't just forget those efficiencies, right? It's not like, oh, I can now make 100 dresses, but I guess I'll go back to making 20 dresses a day, right? That seems like, no, of course not. And so then if we go back to sort of our microeconomics class, that was a shift in supply. And a shift in supply without a shift in demand will lead to lower prices. So companies said, we got to shift we got to shift demand as well. So how do we get people to buy more, to want more, right? To purchase more frequently. And what you see is a shift in advertising to be less about function, need, utility, and more about style and self-expression. So if I convince you that like your dress says something about who you are as a person, now I need a red and white polka dot dress and a plaid dress and a green stripe dress, right? All these different patterns and styles and things like that. And that's really been the case from here on out. A lot of our marketing communications messages are about convincing you that this product says something about you. This product is for you. And that boils down to sort of who you are and the self. And that obviously implies that organizations need to understand the different, effectively, categories or segments of the self. And in fact, Ryan and I did a podcast on this recently, and it's as a regular listener, Sarah, I know that you'll know that we wrap on about this for ages because segmentation in most organizations is pretty poor. Uh, right. And yet the first thing we teach in any marketing class is segmentation and targeting. It, it's the very first thing I teach, even in a class on advertising, because how are you going to speak to customers if you don't understand who your customer is? And it should be the very first question every organization asks is who is our customer? And asking who is our customer basically is asking what are the selves of our customer? What, who is that like? Um, and so, yeah, you, you have to understand that. And again, I'd be interested in your view. The danger is, is if I was to be, if I was to give you a typical reply that I would get, it would be, well, we do know our customers. They're typically 40 years old. They're typically male. They're typically, you know, they live in New Jersey. I don't know why New Jersey's cropping up all the time, but it does. Yeah, I, we've, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, podcast listeners never target customers from New Jersey. Like, I cannot <laughs> emphasize this enough. There's a big opportunity there, mate. I'll tell you. There's uh, a big opportunity to flee. <laughs> there's a lot of people in New Jersey, yeah. yeah. But you, you get the idea. It's typically demographic information correct rather than yes. and this is where i was going to with my question about is this internally how i see myself or is this how others see me and therefore segmentation laying over the top of that i was just going to say i think managers start with demographics because they're easily measured right so yeah i have data to support that most of my customers are 40 year old men from new jersey right i can show you that that data that's easy to capture, that's easy to measure. What's more difficult to measure 
is more of sort of the psychographic type of segmentation that, you know, we talk about. So lifestyles and all of that, but that's informative. If you tell me that your customer is a 40 year old male from New Jersey, I don't really know yet how to talk to him very well. But if you tell me that it's a 40 year old man from New Jersey who loves to bicycle, bikes to work and drinks craft beer, right? All these more like lifestyle stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I I know something about how to communicate to that person. I know I can picture who that person is. And that's why I, I teach, after I teach segmentation and targeting to my students, I then talk about this idea of a user persona. Like, let's flush out what this person looks like, talks like, acts like, because that is much more helpful and then crafting messages to to communicate with them. Yeah, totally agree. Ryan and I were talking about this. Ryan, I, I think I may be sacking you, mate, because this is far more interesting than what you normally come up with. Um, thanks. Yes, please. If Ryan is ever unavailable, Colin, please, Absolutely. please, please, please. I'm here. I'm here to chat. My definition of yourself is is kind of sad at this point. Yeah, I was just about to say, how does that make you feel, mate? Yeah. Is, it, is it good? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to visit verant.com backslash boundless to download the new engagement capacity gap study and to find more resources and information. I would also like to encourage you to go to verant.com to register for Engage 22 Better Together, the company's annual engagement conference in Orlando from June 13th to June 16th. It's a premier in-person event bringing together CX leaders, brands, industry partners, industry analysts, partners, and variant experts to share insights and best practices in customer engagement. If I go back to this, so what? So mm-hmm. what else, how else does this apply if in journey mapping or customer experience and all that type of stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's lots and lots of research that suggests that consumers like to see themselves reflected in products and brands, right? That that leads to more favorable attitudes and more favorable purchase behaviors. And you see companies now recognizing this. So you see a lot more customization in in companies. So uh, Nike has a whole Nike ID program where you can go online and completely create your own Nike shoe, color, style, all sorts of stuff. You see it even in M&Ms recently, changing their little M&M characters. So they changed up the shoes and things like that. And in their press release, they said they did it because they wanted to underscore the importance of self-expression. That's exactly what they said. I should have quoted that quote, underscore the importance of self-expression, end quote. Uh, Recognizing that, you know, consumers want to see themselves reflected even in something as sort of silly as an anthropomorphized candy, right? That, That that can influence customers. So there's lots of research to suggest that like, if we can bring the customer, if we can reflect the customer in our product, in our packaging, in our communications, all of that kind of stuff, that's a great thing. But then there's also research that's sort of newer, I would say, in the last you know five to 10 years, that's starting to look at the rest of the customer journey. Okay. So not just sort of what leads up to purchase, but then how do we use products that are reflective of our identity? And then how do we dispose of them once we're done. There's research that suggests that 
when they're reflective of our identity, we're actually more likely to recycle them than to trash them because trashing them feels like we're kind of like throwing away ourselves. So it really is something I think that's pervasive in all stages of the customer journey. It made me also think of that my, and maybe this goes back to the hats conversation, it made me think about myself at work may be different to my self at home. And that, I guess, goes... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Lorraine might have something to say about that, but uh, go ahead. We'll pretend. Well, yeah, but you see, that goes back to my original question, which is my perception, my own perception of myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Because Ryan Mm -hmm. is probably right, actually. I'm just overbearing everywhere. (laughs) 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 I forgot what I was going to say now. Uh, The the difference between who you are at, at at home and at work, yeah, I think it's a really important question. Yeah. yeah. Because I was thinking, you know, because then when it comes to segmentation again, that could be different, isn't it? You know, um, my perception or my the segmentation of me at work and the segmentation of me when I'm at home. Right. There's lots of research that shows that your decisions can actually change based on sort of what identity is activated at that moment, right? So when you're at work, that identity is going to be activated. You're going to be thinking about yourself at work. And so your decisions are going to be largely driven by that identity. But when you're home, assuming you can take off the work hat, I don't know, Lorraine, you and I can chat later, but assuming you can take off the work hat and put on the home hat, then your home identity is activated and you're going to be making decisions sort of consistent with that. So you're absolutely right that it is going to depend on where you are at the moment and what identity is is active for you at that time. It's even more complicated than that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but I think some of your research shows that there are people who are really tightly bound up in those identities and others who have them kind of more dispersed. So some people might be more of a unitary self where it doesn't matter where they are. They are always the same person, whereas other people will really code switch and become completely different. Yeah, that's to me, that's stuff I'm working on right now and and stuff I'm really excited about because so much of the previous work on self has said, like, let's look at this one self, right? So if I, as a undergraduate student here at Penn State, if I ask you, do you like these Penn State products? You're going to say yes, right? That's one identity of the many, many identities that that student likely has. And what's interesting to me is not just how many identities a person has, but also how they relate to one another. So I could see myself as having like a few, a small number of identities. And maybe those identities are sort of really kind of similar to me. There's like a lot of overlap to them. So I sort of just see myself as kind of one thing, or I could have a lot of identities that are very different from one another and they feel very separated from one another. I think those kinds of, that's where this, the research on the self and identity is going is understanding sort of the structure of oneself, I think also has a lot of implications for consumer behavior. Sarah, all really interesting stuff, and this is really a good conversation. You say that to all your guests, though, Colin. I've listened to this podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know. But just, just like with the friend thing, he only means it for you. All right, correct. Okay, good. All right, good. So uh, we always try to get practical, okay? Yeah. So what's the so what? So if you're a, a customer experience professional, if you're a marketing person listening to this and thinking, God, oh, this is really interesting, what in the hell do they go away and do? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to thinking about inserting consumers' selves into various aspects of the customer journey. So again, we, you have to start with understanding your customer, but I, I know you guys talk about that a lot, so I don't want to beat that 
dead horse anymore. But it starts with sort of understanding segmentation targeting. But assuming you've done that, assuming you've done your homework, then it's thinking about where can we reflect that in the customer journey? And the obvious answer, like I said, is often in products and marketing communications and things like that. That seems like a gimme. But I think there's more you can be thinking about. How can we insert or how can we reflect our customers' selves, their identities, in our distribution, in our packaging, in the sort of consumption experience, in the disposal decision? Like what, how can we be influencing them? I think there's a lot of opportunities there to be thinking, always be thinking about the customer and and how they can be seen in these various stages of the customer journey. Yeah, and I think that's a really good insight, to be honest with you. That that whole bit about the product and post the product. I've, I've recently bought a new guitar and I ordered it online and I was actually really disappointed in the status updates and stuff like that I was getting. Mm. And, and I don't think enough, whilst it's good that they're starting to provide those things of when delivery is, actually, right. you know, you could, you could even start to sort of start to segment that, couldn't you? If I'm a manufacturer of guitars, one thing I might want to ask myself is who are the casual guitar player purchasing these or are the serious guitar player purchasing these, right? And that leads to very different post-purchase communication that you could imagine. And then if I'm a if I'm a casual guitar player and I'm getting emails about here's frequently asked questions or here's like guitar lessons or here's very basic music sheets to try, right? That feels very comforting to me. It's like I'm seen, I'm being seen by the company. So yeah, I definitely think that, again, it starts with understanding your customer, but then reflecting that in various stages of the customer journey. Whereas somebody who sees a core part of their identity being a guitar player might be kind of insulted or turned off by some of those same actions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting bit is that I see myself as Dave Gilmore, the lead guitarist from Pink <laughs> Floyd. But if you heard me, I'd be nothing like that. Mm. So, I've, I've heard him say that he thinks that he's you so i think it, it all works out <laughs> i think that's called self-delusion but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> that we'll yeah, definitely. ryan your your thoughts what practical advice i mean i'm i'm fascinated by how many decisions are likely driven by our self-perception you hear people casually talking about how oh that's me right or that's that's so me and there are so many purchase decisions now where we enlist the help of some outside experts. Like you might get a designer to help you decorate your house or you stitch fix or something where there's like this online expert who can help you with your fashion. And a lot of times people will, will say like, Oh, this outside person really helped define me, right. Or helped find the couch that was so me indicating that maybe we have a concept of ourselves that we can't even access directly. Like, the idea that we we can gain a lot of benefit as marketers, as customer experience professionals, by a deeper understanding of who people are and what's important to them, I think is is just so important. I, I think of this information about the self as being the next stage in your segmentation and targeting. So we've, we've developed our, our segments, we've chosen our targets. Now, how do we understand them even better? We need to understand what's important to them. And that is really tightly linked with who they see themselves as and and who they aspire to be and what's important to them. Right. I mean, can you think about getting a bigger wow as a company than seeing something in your customer that they didn't necessarily see themselves, right? I mean, talk about wowing a customer. That that seems like a, a big one. And it serves what seems to be a fundamental need for people. This need for self-expression, this need for self-identity I, is one of the 
the key drivers of human behavior, I think. Yeah, agreed. From my my perspective, and just to jump in here with um, building on what you two are just talking about, I think the thing that annoys me to hell is it seems so bloody obvious that this is what organizations <laughs> should be doing. I just get so surprised that they still talk about, well, we've got big customers, we've got small customers, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're segmented this way, we're segmented that way. But the first thing for me is you've really got to get into the segmentation in a lot more detail and start to understand this stuff. The other bit I would just reinforce would be how does the self appear in the product and the disposal of the, of the product, the use of the product, how does those individual customer personas, selves, appear in those things? Because again, I think that's such a big opportunity that's being missed at the moment. Yeah, agreed. I think it's it's hard, right? I think that's probably one reason why companies don't do it more. It's easy to measure demographics, right? Yep. No, totally yeah. agree. I mean, that is the reason. It's just, you think to yourself, we got to such a, it was such a state now where competition is so rife and blah, 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 blah. You just go, there's a thing called the internet that changed the world. And suddenly we've got all this information and we're still not using it very well. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let me not get on that particular hobby horse at the moment. So Sarah, this has been fascinating stuff and we could, uh, as usual, carry on chatting for for another four hours about this if people want to get hold of you then how best do they do that they can find me on linkedin or you can find me on penn state's website if you want to find my email and reach out that way that would be great great good thank you sarah oh my gosh thanks for having me you guys this was very very fun i'm just going about to do some counseling with ryan to see if i can rebuild his self <laughs> after this Myself conversation sad <laughs> That was so fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.